James earns millions from internet marketing. Tim's got millions of questions. Welcome to Freedom Ocean. Now, jump on in. All right, James Shramko. Welcome back to the Freedom Ocean. Isn't it good to be back in the cool, calming waters? Love it. This is where I enjoy spending my time. You know, I meant to, and welcome listeners. I always forget that. Welcome listeners um, to the Freedom Ocean. We're pretty much on the guy with a million questions, and James, you're the guy with a million dollars, and between the two of us, it's Gilligan and the Skipper, really. That is. Which one are you? Aha. Uh-huh. I'm Mary Ann. (laughs) Um, But uh, as we said in our last show, this is a show dedicated to... Well, all shows are dedicated to the listener, this one in particular, because I'm going to hold off on the questions for a minute. Um, A couple of days ago, James, I put out an email uh, saying, what questions you got, guys? You must have lots of burning internet marketing questions, I said. And we got a fantastic response, a fantastic response, and not one silly one saying, oh, you know, how do I get rich? The genu- people are genuinely engaging. We, we used that word last show, but they really are. They're, they're, wanting to, they're wanting the answers on a broad range of questions. So I'm loving that. So I, like, I like that the questions come in three different places too. We've got questions from the email. We've got questions on the fan page on Facebook, and we've had questions on our Freedom Ocean blog. We have, in the show notes, yep. comment so section. We, we're actually using one of our strategies, which is to be in multiple places. Yep. And um, just to give people an idea of, because it's always good to know the numbers, um, and I, don't, I haven't calculated the percentage of response, but I would say we've certainly got over 20%. We've got a lot on our list uh, already. Um, but 20% or more have responded with a question, in some case multiples. I have pages and pages of questions from listeners here, which clearly we're not going to cover in today's show, but we will cover in coming shows. We'll answer every single one of them. Um, so, yeah, that's been, it's been excellent to, to get them. Um, what I meant to say in, last, in our last show, which I didn't, was that we had a great response to the homework that you set in, I think, episode five or six, five, where you asked people, I can't remember, it might have been episode four, it doesn't matter, you asked people to clear their inboxes. It was episode four. To purge. Purge, get rid of all the junk and clutter in your inbox. And we had people posting on Facebook saying, you know, it's, it's done. We even had people posting screenshots Wasn't that great? of an empty inbox. And I would encourage anyone listening to this, if you can set yourself up with a clear inbox, take a screenshot, post it on the Freedom Ocean hey, wall like and, that. and let everyone else be encouraged by the freedom that is actually coming from that. It's a very cathartic thing to do, and I could feel I could feel people exhaling as they were doing it and posting on on the Freedom Ocean Facebook. Uh, great, you know, great. And, and in some cases, there's one guy who'd purged tens of thousands of emails. Yeah, it's not it's not uncommon. In fact, I've been collecting these screenshots for one of my products called Inbox Relief, which is uh, currently, as at time of recording, not out. However, I've been really encouraged by the tremendous feedback from everyone that I've helped. I've actually helped so many people get rid of junk out of their inbox that they said, you should make a product about this and help others. So I'm putting together some of the top tips and tricks. But for now, the episode four covers what I recommend you do. Go back and listen to the end of that and the homework because it really is going to free you up to be able to implement the stuff we're talking about in this episode and future episodes. James, one of the great lessons uh, that keeps coming back to me now that we're doing Freedom Ocean is that a lot of this stuff is simple. I mean, that's not brain surgery to say empty your inbox. It's not something that people would think about because we're all so busy, but it's, a, it's going to be a recurring theme, I think, in internet marketing because I was saying to you before, one of the big words that I'm seeing, one of the key insights into people who are beginning an internet marketing journey or to small business owners who are considering it is overwhelm. Yeah. And what I, what I want to say to them, and I hope that they're picking it up in episodes so far, is that it is not as... And I'm, I'll put my hand up as being 
you know, I'll be captain of one of the overwhelmed, overwhelmed teams because I, I'm, I've been and, and to a certain extent are still in overwhelm because I am still running n- normal businesses, whatever a normal business is, um, maybe internet marketing. You're in normal. transition phase. I am in transition. We, we had a private co- conversation recently where you just perched, didn't yep. you? you? did brain dump. Yep. And we've... We uh, made some suggestions and, and reorganised things, and you've actually started the path of restructuring. And I wonder, would, do you think you'd ever release part of that recording at some point? We recorded it, didn't we? And because there is an element of, whilst we like full transparency on freedom motion, there was a lot of stuff there around my own personal income, family aims, um, personal aims. So, yeah, I'll have to have a think about that. Maybe there's a little a little beeping button we can put in every time something's mentioned. But absolutely, it, it was certainly... What, what I learned from it, you know what? Um, it's, the old, it's the old cliche of start with the end in mind. And I hadn't... I'd been kind of... I, I was starting things... With no end in mind, bright shiny object. It's very common, and that's the thing that strikes me when I'm on those phone calls. Is I, it's so clear to me, it's so obvious what people should do. When I'm looking in as a helicopter view of their situation, I'm like, well, move this, stop doing that, start doing this, reorganise that. And, and generally, it takes no extra effort for them to have a completely different outcome. It just, in most cases, it's actually doing less. I think one thing, I'll, one proviso I'll put on that is that, yeah, you do see it and you see it really clearly and you do, there is empathy in, what your, in your solution, but everyone's situation is different. Some people are more courageous than others. Some people um, are ready to make the jumps that you're proposing that are very simple jumps. They're not like, it's just like, hey, you know, like, well, what are you good at? Focus around that. Well, that's a pretty simple jump, but when you're anchored to all this other stuff that you're doing and earning an income from that's paying the bills, there's just little, there's, there's emotional stuff there that only really you, the, the person receiving the information, can act on and make those decisions. Exactly. So yeah. it's about identifying where you want to get to and then having that courage to yep. let go sometimes, to let go of doing some of the things now that, that are comfortable. That is a very good segue into our first listener question. Um, in fact, there was a number of questions around this, and just as we go to air now, another one came in. Uh, that was from Anne Tyson, who sends a very long note, which she clearly acknowledged that she was, um, she was struggling to decide which area of internet marketing to really focus on. Um, Michelle Brown has also come through on Facebook with a similar question, and, and I'll, I'll let you know, Here's what Michelle's question is. It's discussion about handling multiple income streams that are very diverse. How do you make the headspace to cover each one properly without jumping jumping around from one thing to another? And that's a recurring thing. As I said, Anne, Michelle, there are a number of people saying, it's, it's, it's overwhelm. It's back to this overwhelm thing. And um, before you jump into your solution, your answer... Um, as you know, in a previous episode, we covered one of the 10 business models, which was a local marketing uh, strategy, and we are going to cover the other nine. So if I could answer that question first, and dare I answer a question, I'm, I'm just the guy with the questions, you <laughs> I'm know. I'm fascinated. Yeah, 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 but, well, here's, here's one. Here's I'm like one. the guy playing golf. I'll let you take the shot. And, <laughs> yeah, great. And then I'll study the, the curve on yes. the ball. <laughs> rub, your, rub your chin as I'm doing it. Hmm. But... Um, well, clearly part of the solution is we're in the process of developing, and that is listen to the 10 episodes that will come out over the coming months. I'm sorry, I know everyone wants the answer today, but over the coming weeks and months, we will make very clear the pros and cons and the how-tos of all 10 internet marketing business models. And at that point, you're going to know, you should know which one suits. That's a bit of a medium-term answer. What's your answer, James? Well, as, as usual, I always look for a, a way of looking at things to explain it so that I understand it simply. Just near my lab is a library with a multitude of books, hundreds of books on it. And each book is a separate entity and it's got its own topic, its own author, but they all live together on the same bookshelf. 
and really is just a, a case of focusing on one thing at a time. If I, if I were trying to read a hundred books at the same time, you know, literally go page, 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 it wouldn't work. But if I go and take one book off the shelf, open it up and absorb myself into that one book, it's actually pretty easy to concentrate on that. So the, the goal is to switch on to one thing and switch off the others when you're in that space, much like a filing cabinet. So when I started out, I've mentioned on a previous podcast that I started with one primary business model and I worked it to death from start to finish until there was really nothing else I could do. I completely maxed out that that market segment. I owned the space. I was the dominant affiliate and the next logical thing was to create products and that was my second model and then the next logical thing was to take that information and help businesses with their business using pretty much the same skills. So what I did that that made it easy for me is I actually split it into the core skills that are common across almost every internet marketing business model such as copywriting, you know, the ability to sell and market such as conversions, you know, being able to track, test and measure traffic and, and work out what's working or not. I took the core skills and focused on really beefing those up and then the business model or the strategy just sits on top like a, like a skin on a skeleton. Everyone looks different but there's pretty much the same underpinnings. So that was how I did it. I actually started off with one and I would say to anyone who feels overwhelmed, well that's like anything else in life. You don't go into, uh, well maybe you do, but if you go into a food court, you, you're only going to eat one meal. Unless you're a pig. But there's 30 on display. There's 30 things. It, it, you, know, you don't go in and say, oh, wow, there's so many food things here. I'm just not going to eat anything. I don't know where to start. Or, or go into a library and say, well, there's so many books here. I'm overwhelmed. I can't read anything. Just pick up one thing. Just, just do one thing and start with that. Now, when I, when I go to a food court, I might just stroll around the shops and I'll have a little look in the window. I'll, I'll see what I like the look of, what I think might feel good in my tummy and then I'll make my investment and I'll buy one meal and I'll eat it. It might be crap, you know, I might throw up, I might get food poisoning but I won't go back to that store, I'll try something else. It might be awesome and like many people I might just stick to that one shop every time I go to the food court and never venture outside it and that's what happens with some people, they might find one of these business models is so good it hits every marker that they don't ever need to explore another one or they might be the sort of person that gets bored very quickly and wants to try, you know, sample something different every time. But ultimately, this is what it comes down to. You are in control. So make some decisions. Do your homework. Get a gut feel. Do some analysis on what you think is right. And one of the best ways to, to gauge that is what are other people doing? You know, does, that, does what they're doing appeal to you? Because if it does, you know, go and do a little bit like them until you find your own flavour. And start with something. Enough to know whether you like it or you don't like it. If you don't like it, then you can either push through the pain because it's worthwhile for some other reason. Like uh, for me, that was going to work for a real job. I didn't mm. love it at the end, but I had to do it because I had bills to pay. But as soon as I had a choice, I was able to switch to things I wanted to do. And I'd say that, that in the case of overwhelm, you've got to just turn things off and just pick one. You know, I think yeah, that's clear. And as you say, that's like anything in life. We, are, we hate choice. As humans, we hate choice. And well, if we, we have to go to our wardrobe to... in the morning and be overwhelmed with... Yeah. I read somewhere, I don't know who it is, is it Edward de Bono's thinking hats or something, said if you actually tried every possible combination of all the shoes and, and t-shirts and pants, or dresses in your case, uh, <laughs> uh, in, the, uh, in the wardrobe, if you were to try every possible combination, it would take something like 10,000 years. I just made that statistic up, but you can see the point. Yep. Sometimes you've just got to make a decision and do something. You do. Or well, just walk around nude. <laughs> well, that's right. Tell, I think to this question, and it keeps coming up, and I've asked it myself too, um, and I think it comes from a space of depend, different, different spaces for different people, but desperation, um, wanting it all done for you, um, just complete overwhelm, um, cutting to the chase, um, and sometimes they're not good places to ask questions from. And I think the internet marketing world 
has because of a lot of the oh, what's the word the the get rich quick schemes that are out there we're all seeing those and they're all bright shiny objects and there's that there's a product around affiliate and you go you know within three days you'll be earning x and then there's another product around um, local marketing and within 10 days you'll be earning y and it's like all those things are so incredibly bright and look so incredibly simple and then at some point you've seen 10 20 30 of these different offers and you just go but that's the reason why tim is because you haven't got your shades on you haven't got your filters, so you are seeing bright, shiny objects. Right. I don't even see the bright, shiny objects. You know why? They don't come to my inbox because I unsubscribe from those yep. bright, shiny object pushers who don't actually do the business model they're selling. Remember we said in a previous episode, watch what people do, not what they say they do. If they're pushing bright, shiny object after bright, shiny object, if you were to add it up, if you were to actually sit down and say, well, okay, this guy sends me an offer every three days. Could I possibly do every one of those offers every three days? And what sort of business would I have? You'd have nothing. Mm. So you've got to put the filters on. So you're always looking for a quote from each show. I'm going to give you a proposal here. It would be something like, what can I do less of? If you can ask yourself that, you'll probably find many of the answers on what's going to work for you. You've got to stop. The way to stop overwhelm is to stop taking stuff in. Stop bringing things in that you have to process, that you have to make a decision on. Because when you get into that overwhelmed state, you actually lose the ability to make decisions and you lose control and now somebody else controls you. You've just handed your brain to that marketer and said, do, do what you want with me. Yeah. I'm going to read your emails. I'm going to click on your links because you're triggering my curiosity because I've got no self-control whatsoever. You've got to take control back, and the best way to take control back is to put up, you know, like the Thunderbirds, put up the wall, block it out, focus for a minute, think, just sit there and, and think, decide what it is that you want, then you can let the wall down again, and as things come in, you say, does that fit what I want to do, yes or no? No, it doesn't, see you later. Does this fit what I want to do, yes Welcome, pleased to meet you. Let's do this. James, I'm going to see if there's interest. One of the things, one of your criteria for deciding whether a product um, will get traction uh, or not out in the marketplace is to put it out there and ask first. And I wonder whether, well, I'm not, I don't wonder, I'm going to ask our listeners, would they be interested in us putting together a matrix that lists all 10 internet marketing business models and across the other axes goes through the various pros and cons of each uh, for them to decide whether it's for them or not and we'll make that um we're putting ourselves on the spot now a bit of pressure we'll go and create that no no um, let's just be clear here you're putting oh, ourselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're well, putting ourselves on the spot correct or, even more importantly correct you're putting my ninjas on the spot i'll i'll, I'll get the tech I'll, have, I'll be in charge of the whiteboard but um i think there is i mean, I'll be, i will take the photo and put it into dropbox okay. All right. Well, listen, what we'll do is we'll put a little link on our fan page, uh, Freedom Ocean. You go to com. That'll take you direct to our fan page. um, And you can tell us whether that would be of interest to you. And uh, that's a little product we can create together uh, that people can uh, express an interest in. So, okay, let's move on to another listener question. This one's from Paul um, of the Eleven Group. And he came through on our show notes. Uh, which people can do. He says, hey guys, great call. I love the way you guys break down the tech talk to the bare essentials. Great stuff. Towards the end of um, the call, he means one of the previous episodes, James mentioned his auto blog strategy. This is a question I've been meaning to ask you as well. Uh, Can you let us know which plugins, both auto blog and affiliate product linking, he is referring to? I'll add to that and just explain what this whole auto blog uh, technique is all about. Yeah, you go. You do the auto blog thing. Tell me? Yeah, tell us what the auto blog. Well, it was so it was something that you raised, and I actually had the question. My question was, what is the auto blog? <laughs> I thought you were going to add to it. What no, auto no. Blog well, is. All I know is that it's something that generates articles, pre-existing articles from around the web, and 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 populates your blog automatically. Yeah. In in simple terms, it's where you can have a web property, say a website, that is updating automatically. And there's a few ways to do it. The most common way to do it is to install a plugin, 
and that's the technical term. But what that is, just a piece of software that, that is compatible for the WordPress platform that most people prefer for their websites. And that plugin can actually go and get information from other places and post it to your website. Now, the big things that, that this, um, I guess, that are important are where is it getting the information from? Like what is it actually drawing information from and what is it posting onto your site? And then the other strate- strategies that relate to this are, you know, why would you do that? When's a good time to do that? And what are the risks associated with it and the costs and what's the actual technology you need to do it? So we might cover a couple of those perhaps. Okay. Why would you do it? Well, you might want to do it because you can actually build up a, a multiple page website automatically and that in theory gives you more real estate online where you've got a chance of people visiting clicking on something and whether your business model is an affiliate or a lead generation or or being a publisher you have a chance of making money when people visit your website for whatever reason the where where can you get information from well the two main types of information will be from uh, either article directories a lot of article networks, including, including my own article network, which is called trafficjumbo.com, that actually provides WordPress publishers with the ability to auto-feed their website with articles from that network. And in this case, that's a reasonably good supply source because the articles that get submitted are spun. What that means is that they're rewritten so that they're a little bit different to the articles posted on other websites. So what you're really aiming for is unique content, and auto-blogging is not really going to give you amazing unique content. It might give you partially unique content. And the other place that people will get information from, your plugin might go and draw from an RSS feed. And if you don't know what that means, it's that little orange icon on the top of your computer when you visit popular websites. It's, it's another language that is good for publishing and you can literally take that little RSS feed and plug it into your plugin. Now the main auto-blogging strategy that I have is I actually republish the RSS feed from my own websites onto my other websites and I do it on the sidebar widget. Now that's technical, so I'm going to have to. We, we, that. You, we're starting to geek out here. Well, we, well, you are anyway. It's a geeky question, so I'm going to give and it I should, I should have, I should have prefaced these listener questions that um, whilst freedom motion is for those entering the internet marketing space and for the small business owners who are entering the space, um, there is an array of questions here from more advanced. I'm trying to pick the ones that are. A little bit sort of middle to... This is a middle... It's a middle range thing. The, the, the short answer is I will take the RSS feed from some of my websites and I will paste it into a WordPress plugin called Feed WordPress and I'll have it republish on my other websites. That way... I'm syndicating my own content. So whenever, I actually call it the mothership and the satellite sites. So let's take an example. My mothership superfast results forum. What we do there is we actually take content from inside the private members area via the RSS feed and we repost it on our WordPress blog on the front. And what we've been able to do there is have all of, whenever one of our members posts anything in the forum, it will republish on the WordPress blog. So that's our source. Is it 100% unique? Absolutely. And once it's republished onto our blog, it then gets republished onto other blogs and to other places. So now every time someone posts in our forum, it goes onto our site and then onto other sites. So what we end up with is we get a whole bunch of people uh, posting content that ends up being indexed by Google by the key phrase that they made the post for. So if someone makes a post, how to create a video and load it to a website, that will go onto our website. When someone goes to Google searching for how to create a video and upload it to my website, they will probably find my super fast results Mm -hmm. forum and they'll be taken to a page on my website that says, hey, this is for members only so, so if that, you'd that, like to join. I can see that, tec- that technique works for me because it's your own content, it's yes. unique, it's yep. relevant, and you, basically you're just putting it in, in, a, in a variety of places that are all your own. Going back to Well, the and other people's. 
okay. other people will take that feed too. Okay. Well, they're, they're, yeah, no, well, that's their choice. But yes. then going back to the auto blog qu- question of actually having a blog, um, to me it feels, I can't think of a better word than dirty by actually taking, you know, auto blogging, by creating a site that's just pulling automatically pulling content from all these different sources of which I'm not sure you have 100% control over. It's just pulling sources in the hope that people will go to that site and, and, and see it as being a credible site in the hope, as the blog owner, that they're going to buy from you. It just seems a bit misleading. Well, it's not misleading. It's just not creating as much value as something custom like Freedom Ocean. Yeah. Freedom Ocean is so valuable because it's original content. It's really, really uh, you know, well thought out and a lot of effort goes into creating it. Whereas an auto blog, it's very low effort involved in creating it and setting it up. It's not offering a highly valuable solution. In the case where someone is taking articles from a blog network and republishing it on their site, I don't think that's dirty. It's helping that person syndicate their content. You're just becoming a news reporter. I suppose it's a bit like a magazine. I mean, you've it's got like calling a news agent dirty yeah. because he's republishing. <laughs> he's actually allowing. You know, he's selling the Sydney Morning Herald. I think as, there is an element, an element of control. I mean, if you use the magazine analogy, you buy a magazine. There's 20 articles by 20 journalists, but all those journalists have been vetted by the editor to be of a particular and standard. Those, a lot of those articles will be in other magazines. They will be. Won't they? But they have been vetted. You well, know? that's the same as, as someone taking a feed from an article site. They will actually have been vetted. The blog owner can choose to have them saved as a draft and log in and approve them. Yep. So they can actually vet them. This is called curation, and it's a concept talked about by a, f- a few of the older marketers. Uh, I mean, both in years, in age, and in time in the market. <laughs> um, so. Keith Baxter is an example of someone who talks about this concept. And this, this whole concept is, you know, updating and reformatting the content to make it original again or to make it suitable. Another way that I've found Autoblog is actually involving the team, not software. So I actually have a team member update the blog every single day. And it, ultimately, when it all comes down to it, I'm actually paying a fee, a monthly wage, for that staff member to update our properties. So Mm. that's another way that I look at it. From a personal point of view, that's automatic for me, but it's not machine automation. So for someone like me, like we have um, one of my other podcasts is smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, and we have a blog on that, and we try to update it we're not very you know it's like everyone we fall off the track sometimes we might update once every 10 days would we be better off identifying i like the idea of identifying maybe an article writer who's going to write an article and update maybe once every day and pay you know five dollars for a 400 word article or something like that as opposed to go and get that auto blog plug in and and pull an article a day around small business You should never put an auto blog plug-in on that blog. It's a premium property. What you should be doing is setting up another blog somewhere else and call it Small Business Ideas. And you should take the feed from your first blog from smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and feed that into the sidebar widget on your other blog and you pay your article writer five bucks an article to update that blog three times a day and that blog will actually get quite powerful and you're also getting nice links back to your main blog from that blog plus you can put banners and you can actually put a banner for your main blog back from that site so now you actually end up with two websites one of them is premium that's the the filet mignon (laughs) the other one is the t-bone and chops and and, uh, sausages and you're driving a lot of traffic but pushing it back to your premium site Okay. So created a layer for yourself. I think the bottom line is there's nothing like nothing as good as original, unique content. Fresh is uh, best. Fresh is best. Real content, and that will that will be valuable. There's definitely a valid traffic strategy and a business strategy around some elements of auto blogging, but anyone who plans on building their entire business on it is potentially doomed because what tends to happen is Google comes along, they say. This isn't very useful for our visitors. It's not good value. We're going to 
uh, slap it. So there is a little part of the Google algorithm that recognises auto-blogging as being something that... Oh, definitely, there's filters where it's looking for substandard content to try and eliminate it from the index, and they also have human reviewers. Do they? Yes, they do, yeah. Goodness me. You're telling me that there are people within Google that read things. I just thought the whole thing was a bot. Hey? No, they actually uh, they actually contract people to go and look at Fantastic. websites and and to click on is this a good website or not you know yes or no and and um, move on and and if it if it gets enough strikes I know for their display ads that they're hand approved these days. Wow, I didn't know that. There you go, the human side of Google. Let's get to question three. It is from Steve Fitzpatrick. It came through on the email, uh, and he says I'd like to know which payment system in brackets, PayPal, credit card, or other, is the easiest to set up, and which of these converts to the most sales? He's asking for the magic bullet, James. <laughs> or, or has the least half-done transaction fees, transaction rates, so which is the cheapest, I guess, as well. Right, he also might be talking about shopping cart abandonment when he's talking about half-done transactions. And that is simply where someone clicks on the order button to buy, and then they drop off the page. So there is something you can do to help yourself with that a little bit. Firstly, PayPal is the easiest to set up. Most people have a PayPal account because most people have probably used eBay. And it's sort of like play money too. It's not real. And you could receive credit cards. So most of my businesses run on PayPal. Merchant accounts are more difficult because they're literally a loan. The, the big merchant companies treat it as a loan. You receive the money and then basically it's sort of on, on loan to you and they can claw back or retract or whatever. So you have to be very, very careful when you're using merchant facilities. Um, more complicated to set up, especially depending on what country you're in. It's, most, it's probably easiest in the United States. It gets more difficult in the UK. They have a, a very difficult set, set up for online marketers. And in Australia, there's only one company that provides a multi currency transaction platform anyway. So you either have to go to the Australian dollar, which is actually on parity with the US dollar yeah, at time of recording. Um, so it's not probably a big deal, but it might upset some of your foreign buyers. You know, if, if you're based in Australia and you have US or UK customers, then they probably want to see their currency. And, you know, things like PayPal will automatically switch to the local currency for, for the buyer. So it's quite easy for them. PayPal's good and bad. It has a slightly higher fee. It's much easier to set up. The, there is a dispute thing that protects buyers and sellers. The problem is someone could get your goods and say that they didn't get it or whatever, and they may actually, um, PayPal might just send them their money back, and you don't have much control over that process. You also don't really get to speak to a human with PayPal. Uh, the good thing is that if you buy things with PayPal, then you could also use the reverse. You know, you can say, well, hang on, I didn't get delivered what, what I want. I want to be protected here. And you can lodge a dispute. And it goes off to PayPal arbitration. And with the merchant facility, uh, one of the good things about that for many marketers is if you're on a recurring facility, once you get the credit card details, it just keeps billing. With PayPal, they keep sending out a monthly reminder every time it's billed. And if you don't offer good value, people will unsubscribe. So it's not, not bad for anyone listening to this because anyone listening to this will provide good value, but your customer will get a monthly reminder of their payment. Whereas with a merchant facility, it'll just be a little number on the credit card statement. So it can actually be less noticeable. Mm. Another thing with PayPal, is that um, while you're thinking of it yeah go on because it'll come to you uh, I found PayPal uh, look it is you get what you pay for it is it's, it is expensive but it is pretty easy and I've also found that it's it particularly easy setting up um, buttons buy now buttons or pay now buttons when you might have you might think you know what I want to run a quick webinar and it's actually incredibly easy to go in and create a button you then put on your page, and then you can get that. You can get it out there in five minutes by uh, doing that. And and the PayPal system for creating buttons, it's just it's a series of um, fields that you've just got to fill in, 
and they do the rest for you. They give an embed code, which is getting a bit geeky, but you literally cut and paste that code and put it on your web page, and that button appears. So it, it is pretty easy that way. And I would concur with you that most people know and trust PayPal because of eBay. Yeah, and the thing that I was going to say is that with conversions, they give you the option to put your logo on the PayPal checkout page. Yeah, they do. And you should do that. So if you're listening to this and you currently take PayPal payments, log into your PayPal account and find the area where you can upload your own custom header graphic and put your company logo so that people can see your logo on the payment page and they can trust it that they're actually buying from you. Because sometimes your PayPal address doesn't necessarily match the product. Can you you... do that more than once? Well, I have multiple PayPal accounts. And can you have multiple PayPal accounts based against the one... Do you have to have a series of credit cards to do that, or do you? You'll need a. If you want to sign up for recurring subscriptions, you need a credit card for each PayPal account. Yep. Now that's good and bad too. Mm. The good thing is that if you have a PayPal subscription customer base, you'll get a higher rebill rate than with credit cards because PayPal virtually insist that someone has a, an up-to-date credit card and bank account, and they approve them, you know, before they're allowed to have the subscription. The bad is, if they change their credit card, quite often it will drop the subscription. So you've just got to keep an eye out for hiccups in the shopping cart, as I like to call it. You know, Each month, out of our entire subscription base, we're going to have one or two people get dumped out of the PayPal cart, not because they wanted to leave, but because they logged in and changed or updated their credit card and it just kicked them out of the subscription. So they have to re-subscribe. However, recently I've noticed that it actually lets you go and modify a subscription. You can go and change the amount per month or, or some yeah, of okay. the details, which is Can good. you? Yes. I didn't know that. We've got a, our academy that we run for small business, big market, and we noticed if, if we want to change a price or something on it, then you've got to reset everyone. But you're saying that... You well, one of my accounts now, I've noticed that it, you can go and actually change the subscription amount. You can oh, that's pretty cool. Adjust the, uh, depending on what type of subscription you've Just down, or you can go up or down? I believe you can change it to whatever you want. Okay, that's pretty cool. Now, you were going to share with us, um, if someone did hit that buy now button and in, in the shopping cart and then decided, you know what, for whatever reason, ran out of time or actually don't want the product, you said there was something you could do maybe to continue to secure that sale. Yeah, there's a couple of things. The first thing to do, which is super obvious when you think about it, but hardly ever done, is you can get the customer's name and email address before you send them to the payment option. So instead of the buy now button, you have a you know proceed with order, name, email. They click on that and it captures the details and then sends them to the hmm. checkout page. Now you've got the email details and you can send them an immediate message saying, hey Tim, I noticed that you uh, went to the order page for such and such. Uh, if for some reason you weren't able to proceed, here's the uh, direct link. If you did proceed and didn't get your download details, here's our support desk where we can send you the download again. Uh, if you've got any questions, let us know. So now you've got them on an email. Customer a- a- what's the trigger that says, hey, someone's just pushed by now but hasn't followed through? Well, do you-, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about whether they followed through or not. What you can do is you can actually take them off that prospect list and move them to a buyer's list once they've confirmed the purchase so that uh, so that now they won't get any further follow-ups and if they don't move from the prospect list to the client list you know that they haven't bought so in a day or two you can say hey Tim a couple of days ago you were just about to buy blah 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 and for whatever reason perhaps you had a blackout or uh, or you changed your mind why don't you let us know what happened or please use this 10% off coupon or whatever Mm. so you've got options that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to set your Google Analytics goals and you can actually measure which page people get to on your website. So if they never get to the checkout page, then you know that, that you know, they didn't get past the home page. Maybe they went to the home page and then the checkout page, but they never made it to the download page. So you know that those people were a cart abandonment, as we'd call it. It's good to know what that number is so that you can adjust it and always work to getting 100% conversions from the checkout page to the download area. Okay. All right. Things that you can do to maximize transactions, make the checkout page have a guarantee, a guarantee or a trust seal or a secure badge or make sure that the, the page 
uh, elements, uh, like nice low risk colours and, and um, comfortable and secure looking. In one case, if you were, say, uh, we've talked before about using ClickBank, the marketplace, one of the best tricks was to put a little screenshot of the ClickBank checkout page on the base of the sales page and say, on the next page, you should see this. And mm. then they click on it and they and there go it is. to that. Yeah, and there it is. Yep. So um, that, was a, that was one of Jeff Mulligan's techniques from his quickies tips. And, uh, and that really increased the conversions because people go there and it's what they trust and what they see. I think to a large extent, a lot of this consumer concern about sticking a credit card into the computer has faded away a little yeah, bit. Do you think so? I think it yeah, has too. I think so. Yeah, I think there's very few. You don't hear any more, oh, no, I'd never buy that online. I mean, most people have bought something. I don't know what the stats are, but I'm sure most people now have bought something online. So, Well, the, I think one of the biggest growth markets for Facebook is the grey market. Is it really? Yeah, the oldies. They're all into it. Finally? Yep. After all those years, Tracking oh, down get off Facebook. Lifelong friends and school reunions. Great. 70th year reunion. <laughs> okay. All right, well, listen, here, let's move on to the next question. That's from Craig Griffiths, and Craig came through on our Facebook, and he says he'd like to know examples of great content and what makes it great. He says, why, why did it engage? And everyone talks about giving value. Everyone that puts pen to paper believes they are doing that. There are thousands of unfollowed blogs. Any word, any any help would be loved. So this is all about content, and and what yeah, what makes great content? Well, I think good, great content is solving a problem. Let's define content first, actually, because right, well, that might be a bit technical. Content comes in various forms, but in in internet marketing terms, that would usually be text. It could be pictures, video, it could be videos. It could be audio, well, audio, yep. podcast. Yep could be uh, you know, any sort of deliverable that yep. is consumable. Yep. So if we were in the wine market, it'd be Grange Hermitage would be good content. Yep. You know, the contents of the glass is good. What, you know, what makes Grange versus Ribena? You know, it's, it's rare. It's, it's got history. It's, um, Time. it's had a lot of thought and experience put into it, and it's got folklore and, and uh, it's, you know, mystery around it. And, and also an interesting past, you know. What makes great content? I, I think it solves a problem. It actually addresses a pressing uh, concern or need that people are interested in finding answers for. Uh, so any type of how-to or, uh, or a question and answer type content is useful content for people who have questions and they need answers. Mm. I'll, I'll add to that and, and give you an example of great content because Craig has asked for that. And with our show, Small Business, Big Marketing, um, Luke and I, who host it, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a podcast first and foremost, but it, it is becoming more and more an environment where the small business owner can go and seek solutions around their marketing. And we knew at the start that that was a problem that all small business owners had. They couldn't necessarily afford to go and get a marketing consultant. And so therefore, we wanted to create an environment where they could get free marketing advice as well as low-cost marketing advice right up to, to more expensive marketing advice. And what we found is without knowing any of this kind of technical stuff around creating great content... Um, we just have been writing for humans. And this is what you said to me. I've, I've said a couple of times in writing show notes, you know, gosh, you know, how do, how do I get these show notes so that they're really SEO'd, you know? And your advice was write for the human, you know, write for the human. And it's good advice. And we've just, and we've done that for the two and a half years that we've been running small business, big marketing. We've written and recorded for the human. And you know what? As a result, if you go and key in small business marketing into Google, we are number one, well, front and centre. I think it's the same approach we've taken with Freedom Ocean podcasts. We're never watching the clock when we record these mm. because... I sort of do. <laughs> well, but then I realise, you I know, know what? The content is king here. I'm just the one answering the question. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, where we go as long as it, as it needs to to get uh, a decent solution across, to get all of the angles covered because that's... That's you know, if it took fifteen minutes, then great. If it takes an hour, then that's that's how long it takes. Yeah. But we're focusing on the the end 
solution for the customer. We're totally trying to put ourselves in the customer's shoes. And this is something one of my mentors drummed into me. You know, he used to always talk about Max Schubert. And Max Schubert was the, the guy who made Grange Hermitage. He used to say, we're making Grange here. We're making Grange. And he was talking about it, it sometimes it's going to take longer. It's going to take experience. It's going to take um, going th- through the, the, the public ridicule and, and going against popular opinion. I mean, Max Schubert was banned from making wine. They didn't like his stuff. And, and he secretly made this stuff in the basement because he was so passionate about it and he believed in it so much. And in the end, people acknowledged that this was great wine and it was accepted as that. So I think if, if you want to create great content, I think think about creating Grange. That's why less auto-blogging... Just for our auto... Just for our overseas yes. listeners who Grange, don't know what Grange, Grange is. like is. Screaming Eagle or... or um, it's the top of the pops when it comes to wi- red wine. Very good red wine in this yeah. country and, and <laughs> should be in any other And uh, listeners, I can tell you uh, where James, when, when we're talking about planning freedom ocean and what's next and how we're going to go about um, creating products and, and all sorts of aspects of freedom ocean and I want to I want to expedite the process. James just says, Tim, are we creating Grange or are we creating Ribena? And Ribena is cordial for our overseas list. Yeah. I think it's an international yeah, it's like product. Sugar water, sugar like, water, like flat pops. Yeah, are we creating Grange or are we, or are we creating Ribena? And it, it is. It's really powerful advice. And knowing that, okay, Grange takes twenty eight years to get into the bottle and on the shelf, but boy. Is it good? And yeah, is it, you know, it has a high, I'm sure it has a high margin. And if its uh, competitors want to knock it off, guess how long it will take? That's right, yeah. 28 years. Yeah, that's a rather high barrier to you entry. Know, it's, it, the, the best thing you can do to have an indif- you know, a completely um, unassailable competitive advantage in the market is to just outperform your competition with quality of content and thought behind it. And, and you know, there's people who do it so well. I've... I, I like Seth Godin's blog, yeah. for example. He's just continually tipping quality content onto yeah. his blog every single day. Yeah, and if we were to get if we were to get really specific, I, I would say there's a couple of things around, particularly writing content. Is that I, I do think less is more. That's a generalisation, but a great writer once said to me, a guy who I really respected when I worked in advertising, was he said, "Tim, just keep ripping out words until it stops making sense. You know, get to the point." Um, and that, that really stuck. Um, and the second part of content, that, of creating great content, is make it conversational. Now that's different, you know, if you're, if you're writing about a, medical, a piece of medical equipment, conversational is probably not a good criteria for copywriting, but engaging conversational, I just find that works. And I, one thing I've found with many, many small business owners is that they'll, they'll have a logo designer on call, or a graphic designer on call, but very, very few, I would say 2%, 1%, have a writer on call. And I think if you can't write, then either learn to write or outsource it to someone who can because, boy, is it an art form. Yeah, we put a lot of effort in our team into writing. You know, we've got a whole training uh, area for our team where we've got writing how-tos, writing examples, writing tutorials... And that's what they go through. And we we do the same with other forms of content, with images. We have a stock library jammed full of really nice, expensive stock photography that we've purchased. Eugene um, from Noble Samurai, uh, at that recent conference you you and I were at, gave a fantastic example of writing good copy. And what he does is he goes and finds copy that he really respects, uh, maybe it's from a website or from an author or a journalist of some sort, and he'll actually sit there and rewrite it word for word in pen on paper, the old-fashioned way. And what, he, what his, his view is that gets his mind or psyche, in, psyche into a place where when it's time to then go and write his copy, he's kind of already heading down that path. And that's yeah. kind of well. It's an interesting perspective. It is wacky, <laughs> but you know. Well, he's, he's strikes me as a fairly technical guy, and yeah. that might loosen up the um, what is it? 
What's the noughts and ones? Binary oh, code. Yeah, binary code. Yeah, <laughs> might loosen up. Hello, you the, the big danger in doing that would be that you not becoming your own persona. Yeah, but look, so, I, I do think just just to finish off the conversation around content is um, either you got to learn it. You can't as an internet marketer, you can't do everything. As a business owner, you can't do everything. You've got to outsource. Well, some you stuff. shouldn't do everything. No, you've got to outsource some stuff. And, and if you if you if you're not up for it, then go and find someone who is good at it, uh, or learn how to do it. Do you reckon we've got time for one more question, James? Because if we have, I'll have to plough through all these. You're the clock watcher. <laughs> Thanks. Well, there is. There's been a number of questions around backlinking. Yep. And how how to create backlinks. So, um, the the brief one. There's a couple here. One's from Wayne Andrew. Uh, and he came through via email with a lot of questions, which is great. We'll answer one of them around backlinking. And also, um, Shane talks about um, email. Uh, he came through on the email and talks about backlinking. I'll read both questions. Wayne's is quick. He says, how can you... Uh, no, he doesn't. He says, what are the best methods to build backlinks for search engine optimization? Um, and Shane says, hi, guys. Love the show. My question is about when you are setting up a backlinking network, He's getting a bit technical here. Through Posturus, there might be some definitions required up front here in your so. answer. And you want to set up and link to multiple WordPress blogger blogs. Does each blog need its own email address? And log? Oh, this is getting very technical. I'm going to put that one on pause and just say, what's the best way of generating backlinks? Well, I think you should say what a backlink is. Correct. Correct. So a backlink's a bit like a popularity contest, isn't it? The more sites that are off your site that have a link back to your site, Google thinks, oh, gee, this guy's got lots of mates, so we'll, um, we'll put him further up the page ranking. That's it. In, in terms of getting a good result uh, appearing at the top of Google, there's only three things that are really that important. One is you have a well-structured website, and we've covered that before. Yep. Two is you've got great content on that. I, content sounds familiar for some Ah, yep. previous question. Yep. Because Google's job is to get the best possible, most relevant content in front of the customer. And, you know, they stated that on their website years ago. So it's, you know, anyone that hasn't figured that out yet? Well, don't be too presumptuous there because, as we said in a couple of shows ago, I mean, there's a lot of people who, a lot of small business owners who just don't realise. Well, they haven't given the thought. What's, what's Google's aim in life? It's to make the web relevant. Okay, so we'll just be clear. Their goal is to serve up the best possible results so that they can charge people for advertising. There you go. Bottom line. And third element is how many people link to that website with the right words in the link. So if you had the world's best pies, then if every other website points to your website and in the link it says, you should check out this website because they've got the world's best pies then when someone types in world's best pies, Google's going to go, ah, oh, I know who's got the world's best pies. That's Timbo's site because everyone points to that and says the world's best pies. So from that logic, we go to the next stage is how do we get everybody linking to our website? One of the easiest ways to do this is you generate the links to your own website by putting it on other websites. So what we do is we create lots of great content and we put it out on all the other websites and we point back to our website. So when you say put it out on all other websites, on websites that you don't own or that are part of your network? Primarily websites that we do not own. Okay, so how do you do that? That is a good question. Excellent question. <laughs> In fact, I've spent the last month and a half preparing information about that specific subject. It's, it's uh, quite topical. And I reckon by the time this show comes out... It'll be out. ...that product that you're yeah. talking about, which is... Traffic grab. So uh, if people go to our products page on Freedom Ocean, they are going to see a link and uh, a little bit of audio from you and I explaining exactly what who it it's is. for and what it is. Exactly. And uh, the cool thing about that is there are four free modules. So mm -hmm. go and well, learn yeah. up about it. Uh, so anyway, back to the task at hand. If you were to map out on a piece of paper or a mind map what the structures would look like when you put it out there and link back to your site and then you link them together in a strategic way, it would look a little bit like a spaghetti bowl. And that's what my team have affectionately called the traffic grab method. It's the spaghetti bowl. And in simple terms, we take our premium content and we put it on article directories. We put it on 
web 2.0 sites and Postris is one of those sites. Other ones that people may have heard of are Facebook. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yep. And then there's plenty they may not have heard of, like yep. Weebly, WetPaint, Wikidot, uh, Zanga, uh, sorry, not Zanga, Zimbio, all these Z ones. No wonder Facebook won. All those other names are pretty ordinary. Well, one that you should watch out for is Tumblr. Yeah, they've been around a while. And it's been around a while, it's growing massively each week. Yep. But uh, also Twitter. So you take these little content pieces, there's, that sort of takes care of the text, and then you take your videos and you put them out on video sites like YouTube, uh, Vidler, Vimeo, Kawago, Break, there's all these different ones. And you actually put your video content on there and you link back to your website. And with the primary YouTube video, what we do is we actually get other video sharing sites linking back to the YouTube site. And then those links go to your site. So you go a few layers deep. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we go about five layers deep. And then there's the podcasts. You can actually take your articles, you can have them read out, and you can stream them from your website, but also submit them to other sites. Now, most people are familiar with iTunes, but there's also other sharing sites like Podbean that you can put audio content. Podcast Pickle. Yep, all of those ones. And there's also, you can put these things into PowerPoint slides and put them up to sites like slideshare.net. So what you're doing right now in terms of backlinking is you're repurposing content and getting it out there on all the different sites that take this type of content. We create content. We go and now to answer one of those specific questions, we go and create a range of profiles on those sites and many of them will ask for a Gmail account. So YouTube, for example, will ask for a Gmail account. So my team will create a Gmail account. They'll set up a YouTube account and... In fact, that's how they would have set up the Freedom Ocean YouTube channel. If you want to see an example of one, go to the Freedom Ocean YouTube channel, have a look at what the team have done. They've actually taken our podcasts, they've blended it with some I love this channel. pictures and put it up there, little short snippets, because you can generally put up to 10 minutes. They put up a part of a podcast and then they link to the podcast episode from YouTube. It's brilliant. It's giving us a link back to freedomotion.com. It's getting us in front of more eyeballs, because what are the top three websites? Google, Facebook, YouTube. YouTube. And guess where Freedom Ocean is? All three. Google, Facebook, YouTube. And that's why we built a, a... Target a list of customers. If a, all those all those sites are open, if a back if a link lives behind a password protected site, that's useless. Is that that's right pretty to much say? useless? Okay, unless you were to take the RSS feed from there and put yeah. a snippet of it onto your blog, as okay. we discussed before. Okay, uh, obviously um, commenting on other people's blogs. Yes, that's good for links. Good for links. Because you basically, the the ideal strategy is you find something that's topically relevant. So if you had a pie store and you went to post on a bakery's website and said, I love your pies, you must share that recipe for the mushroom sauce, Mm -hmm. you know, and say, look, we, we do pepper pies and steak and tomato pies at our website. You know, some say we have the world's best pies, and you link to world's best pies to your site. So now Google's going, wow, not only do people point to Tim's site saying the world's best pies, but it's coming from really relevant sites like bakery sites and flower sites and cafes. I think I know the answer to this question because the word is relevancy, but if you go to somewhere like Fiverr.com, there are many, many people saying for five bucks they'll get you lots of backlinks. Um, clearly, they're not going to be that relevant. Is a back and there's degrees of backlinking. There's qualities of different quality backlinks. But is it worth paying someone five bucks to get three hundred backlinks? Uh, look, I don't know if you're going to get great backlinks for five bucks. You might. You might not. <laughs> you might be sponsoring a Nigerian. I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, there's easier ways to get it than to take those risks. That that would be a tactic. It's not really a strategy you would build your business. No, on. it's not. But but so, for five dollars, and I'm not. I'm not. Bottom line is the relevancy is a nice bonus, but links are links. If you get a thousand links from non-relevant sites, you're going to beat someone who has no links. Mm-hmm. Is a link from a .dot com? I I bought a product the other day, uh, which was a backlinking product. 
Um, it turned out just to be for um, PCs, so I haven't been able to use it. But what it promised was backlinks from .edu sites and .gov sites. Right. Uh, and I bought it because it was out. It was out of interest, and I'm embarrassed to even say it on air. But there it is. It's out there. Um, and you're, you're looking at me going, "What did you do that for?" I'm not telling you what I paid. I can't remember the email with the uh, "Is this a good product?" Of my question. <laughs> I can't do that all the time. But what, what I did do, what what, what it did um, spark in me was that is there is a is a link on a .com of better quality than on a .net on a better is a better quality than .com.au .gov. Yeah, is there. How does that work? Look, a lot of people are raving on about dot, dot .edu's and stuff. It's it's no more powerful than a dot .com if you if you all things being equal. If the relevancy was equal, I believe it's the same. I subscribe to Jerry West's SEO newsletter, and from his test servers, he hasn't noticed any gain from a dot .gov dot .eu or. Um, oh, there you go. The, the point is. They're, they're supposedly more trusted because they're educational. However, and they're harder to get. One of the biggest uh, online e-commerce stores in America just got slapped big time because they were bribing professors and students to post to their products from a government site. So, I think that there's a good chance they're under review right now. Mm. If you do anything wrong in too much, it's not going to work out for you. Is this? Um, it, is it, geez, there's so much discussion around. It's great questions this, around backlinking. You know, the, this concept, this strategy of creating microsites where you build little WordPress sites that may have ten articles on each yep, site, yep, yep. Um, and you, you know, you have twenty, thirty, forty of them that are all relevant to your industry. Yeah, and then putting links on them back to your your money site. Is that a good idea? Yeah. Well. I just showed you one of my sites that mm-hmm. has been up for two days, mm-hmm. and it's already on page three of Google, and it has about ten articles. Because of the fact that that's um, highly what? relevant, yep, super laser targeted. It has probably got less than ten links so far, and it will be at the top of page one within a week from now, and it will outdo competitors with thousands of links because. It's got good quality handwritten content on multiple properties pointing back to that site with keyword research phrases. Well, let's talk about the how of backlinking because it sounds to me it's dirty work. Wrong word, but you know, it's, it's roll the sleeves up, sweat and grind work. It's something that is going to take time. Um, and it sounds to me like a very good thing to outsource because otherwise you could find yourself in front of that screen for a very long time. Is, is outsourcing the best thing to do when it comes to getting backlinks? You can get backlinks. I mean, th- interestingly, some of the developments lately show that Facebook posts are getting ranked on their own. So even if you're on Facebook pointing to a product, they're likely to get picked up by Google. So that you're actually generating a backlink. When we go to our fan page for Freedom Ocean and point back to our own website, we're actually getting picked up in Google and getting another backlink. Now, the thing is, yes, you want to have someone else do this. That's why I set up a whole business, which the the primary function is we create content, submit it to multiple websites, we link them in a way that makes sense. We use all of the tricky stuff like RSS feeds and technical terms that you should never even have to worry too much about. And we do it all for people from uh, $129 a month. Yeah. So there's no reason you would have to do that anymore. Can you just go through, because that is a fantastic product, uh, can you go through the process for, for that $129 a month product, for example? Yep. What, what are the questions that a business owner is going to get asked in order for the backlinking or the SEO to happen? They're going to need to know the name of their website, and hopefully they know that. That, that would be, yeah, that's the easy question. <laughs> they may or may not know the key phrases they're trying to rank for, most business owners don't know, so we actually will research the key phrase and tell them what we think is a good phrase to rank for. You know, like if they're a mortgage lender, let's say they're a, a home loan broker in a suburb, they're not going to rank for the word finance. Okay, that, leave that for guys like me <laughs> because it's too competitive. Yep. But they, real, they probably want to rank for mortgage lender suburb Ballarat. Yep. You know, whatever their suburb is, that's probably sensible. So they're going to need to know their website, the top five keywords that they would like to rank for, 
and if they could supply a picture that we could use that would be great and that's about it that's easy and then that's an ongoing then that $129 a month is then going to um, have people working on your behalf keeping you uh, SEO'd for those keywords keyword or keywords exactly they create content they submit it to these sites and they link back to the website and what you're really paying for is time labor you're you're paying an offshore team to you know uh, that that labor cost gets you something like 10 or 12 hours of offshore labor of them just sitting there doing that so you're actually buying yourself uh, a day a day and a half of someone sitting in your office so if they're writing the articles, the, you, the quality control of the article writing is good, they're unique Well, we have articles. an editor who looks at all the content, yep. and we send them to the customer and say, please approve. Fantastic. They say yes or no, or could you change this, or you know, that's not quite right. We were actually the second best pie shop, not the first. We don't yeah. want to. Now, the thing that people need to realize is probably not a lot of humans will actually read the content. We're primarily doing this to get a link back to the website. You're writing it for humans, but you're, getting, you're doing it for a link. You're writing it for humans. It's human-written, but it, well, it won't be the Pulitzer Prize novel that's on display on your website. This is what we call off-website content. So it's the second, second layer of quality. James, if people want to access that, they just go to freedomotion.com and under the products link, there is a, an, an SEO product. So um, I reckon we might finish there, mate. That's about, I don't know, that's a good six questions. Yeah, I want to say thanks very much for our listeners for asking these questions and keep them coming. Keep posting on, on our uh, comments. Yeah. When, when we run out, when, we, when I've finished with this pile, uh, we will, we'll send out another email at some point asking for more. But I think now that people know that there is the opportunity to post on our Facebook, uh, to reply to the emails that we do send, um, and to comment on the show notes, you know. We love seeing that, seeing what people are thinking. Um, then we'll just keep on answering them. And every few shows we will have a show dedicated to listener questions. So, James, thanks, mate. Love the ocean. Thanks, See you on Jimbo. the next one. See ya. Thanks for diving into the Freedom Ocean with James Schramko and Tim Reed. You've just come that little bit closer to living the life you choose. Please keep in mind that the ideas, opinions, and information shared in the show are those of the hosts and do not reflect those of their past employers. And as far as future employers go, well, they're both pretty much unemployable. <laughs>